Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you after the New England Revolution's disappointing 1-1 home draw with the Philadelphia Union. The Revs had the better of the play in this one and took a deserved lead in the 75th minute on a Dusabo Bow penalty kick, which was earned by substitute Dylan Barrero. But just two minutes later, a terrible Omar Gonzalez clearance gifted an equalizer to uh, <laughs> Mikel Ure, costing the Revolution two points. I'm Sean Donahue, and joining me today is Chris Velukas. Chris, how's it going? Hey, going uh, not too bad, not too bad. You know, 1-1 draw was a little bit disappointing, uh, but I guess a point you can't really complain about. Also, uh, well done on the pronunciation of Mikhail Ure's name. I have no idea if I'm saying it right either. We're just going to go with it. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah, I see you're calling that uh, bad play by Omar a clearance. So um, that's an interesting take on it. I thought it was an assist. But, um, <laughs> no, overall, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I uh, can't complain here. How about you? How are you doing? Yeah, I mean, the, Philadelphia, only one loss all season. And the Revolution were very close to handing them their second loss. Um, so frustrating. I mean, they're obviously a very good team, but frustrating for the Revolution to play as well as they did and only leave with a point. And I think frustrating for everybody watching to see Omar be responsible for mm. more drop points for the Revolution. I'm not going to spend too much time on that now because we've got about 8,000 questions and comments from fans <laughs> that are disappointed in Omar. So we'll spend a lot of time on that. Um, but I think we're both going to try to avoid that for our key takeaway because we're going to spend so much time on it later and because we've spent so much time on it in the past. Um, but with that, let's get right into our key t- takeaways, which are brought to you by our friends at The Rebellion. Uh, make sure you check them out on Twitter at Any Rebellion and at their website, anyrebellion.org. Um, you know, great revolution supporters group. Give them, uh, check them out for sure. Um, Chris, what's your key takeaway from this one? You know, I had a little bit of a hard time picking the key takeaway. I, it, for me, it came down to two different players. That was uh, Wilfred Captoom and Arnold Tristison. Almost went with Tristison on this, but I think I'm going to lean with Captoom. Both of them, I thought, had a fantastic outing. And in my opinion, I think that was their best outing as a revolution player um so it's nice to see that uh but i'm going with captain uh solely because he's the one that's kind of been uh really absent as of late uh more so than uh, than tristison uh as far as making the roster and just making any sort of impact and uh, we know where his salary is and it's a pretty big number to be not even making the game day roster half the time so it was nice to see him out there nice to see him showing off some of those skills that he's learned at La Masia um, in case you haven't heard uh, Brad Feldman talks about that every single game uh, but it, it was nice to see him out there and doing well and playing with confidence um, you know he was 23 for 25 on on passing which I think that his passing needs to improve I think he got lucky on some of those passes I'm not really sure how he ended up with uh, those sort of stats uh, I wanted to mention his passing is definitely his his weak spot um, but Seeing him out there with the confidence, moving the ball, advancing the play, uh, it, it was a nice change of pace because I think when you see Wolf of Captoom out there, you're expecting him to to turn the ball over or kind of get caught out of position once in a while. You didn't really see that, and it definitely looked like a different player, and it's something that, uh, for me anyway, gives hope. You know, I'm a bit hopeful that Wolf of Captoom can maybe turn it around and and really show what we thought that he was going to bring to this team uh, when the Revs signed him. Uh, and tonight was a, a good opportunity for him, and I think that he did a, a very good job taking advantage uh, of the of the minutes that he was given. 
So uh, I, I don't know what your your thoughts were on Captoom necessarily, but uh, I thought he had a good performance overall. Not great, but I just wanted to really talk about that and kind of focus on it and say maybe uh, maybe Captoom is not the uh, public enemy number one or number two, I guess. We all know who number one is right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I agree with you, but I'm also going to frame it as you know, he had one of his better games for the Revs, maybe his best game for the Revs. You know, like you said, when you see him out there, you often expect him to you know, get dispossessed and you know, turn the ball over sometimes. And, um, you know, to see to see areas that he should have done better in. And there wasn't a lot of that tonight. There wasn't a lot of, oh, my gosh, you know, Captoon made this terrible play or Captoon should have been there and wasn't. Um, but if I'm if I'm going to be negative, I think it's that you know the expectations for him have been set so low um, <laughs> that yes, this might have been his best performance for the Revs, but you know he's a central midfielder. He played 80 minutes. He had 37 touches in a game in which the Revolution had 60% possession. He wasn't that involved. Um, and for a central midfielder, you expect them to have a lot more touches than that. Um, you know, we could say the same thing. We're not talking about Sebastian Lejet, but we could say the same thing about Sebastian Lejet. I don't think Sebastian Lejet was involved nearly enough in this game um, for the you know the type of player he is. But for you know a six hundred thousand dollar a year central midfielder on the Revolution, um, you know, yes, this was a good performance for the standards that he set. Uh, but I, I think you still want to see a lot more out of him, um, you know, to actually live up to his salary and to live up you know to the hype. Uh, so it's a positive sign. He played well in this game. There weren't you know any mistakes, but we're you know almost a year and a half into his tenure with the Revs. If he's playing at central midfield and the Revolutionary getting sixty percent possession, he should be touching the ball more than thirty-seven times and having more of an impact. Um, so I, I agree with you. This is one of his better performances, but I also you know don't think it was an amazing performance. Yep, that's uh, that's a fair analysis. Uh, I'll throw it back to you. What do you got for your takeaway? So my takeaway, again, I think uh, the easy one would have been to talk about Omar, but I didn't want to do that again. Um, but I did want to talk about one thing that you know I, I texted Chris about at halftime, which was the, the revolution trying to play out of the back. Um, you know that's what ended up what kind of kind of sort of cost. Well, I don't know if I don't know if it was playing out of the back or what Omar Gonzalez was doing on the play where, where he turned the <laughs> ball over. But I think the Revolution were lucky they didn't concede in the first half on some sloppy play out of the back. Uh, Matt Turner, it was funny watching the broadcast. You know, Brad Brad Feldman was praising Matt Turner's distribution. He had a couple of nice plays, and then as soon as he praised them, Matt Turner had a terrible turnover that I think Philadelphia should have you know t- taken a one time shot on and uh, might have scored if they had. Um, and you know that that wasn't great. And then Dewan Jones tried a cross field pass. Um, you know, from a pretty deep position where he turned the ball over in a very dangerous spot that I think the Revolution were lucky didn't lead to a better opportunity. Um, so I, I just think the Revolution were a bit too cute playing out of the back. I think they're, you know, they're they're a good team, but I don't know that they're the team that should be, you know, taking those chances with crossfield passes, you know, cross your own goal line or um, you know, just 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 way too cute in this game and a bit when the back line was you know trying to pass out of the back and trying to create something when you know they might have been better off just playing a long ball forward or clearing it. Uh, are, are being a bit safer. Um, and, you know, that eventually ended up costing Omar, but it, it could have cost Matt Turner or Dewan Jones with some of the plays that they had in the first half. And I'm not really sure. I don't think that's necessarily a big part of the Rose game plan. So I'm not really sure why today we saw so much of that and so many potentially costly errors that I think they were lucky didn't lead to more more goals than they did. Well, I was looking at the at playing out of the back, and I think, you know, they were just inviting the the press from Philadelphia and Philadelphia wasn't afraid to do so and it showed on that Turner uh that Turner mistake there was another uh play I think I, I don't remember who it was that passed it back to Turner but uh he barely got it off in time and it looked like he was about to get closed down from two attackers from Philly they were really putting on the press and the Revs were really just inviting it 
and in a way it sort of worked because it allowed the revs to to get in behind and put a lot of pressure on the back, the Philadelphia back line um and Andre Blake they didn't capitalize on those on those chances, obviously, uh, looking at the score line here, you know, you have over three expected goals and only one on the, on the board, which came from the penalty. Uh, but I'll, I'll definitely say that they were too cute. Um, all the cross field passes were driving me nuts that Dewan Jones play. Um, I was in the middle of having a conversation with my son, trying to explain some, some tactics and stuff that probably I don't understand, but my son thinks I do. And uh, right in the middle of that, I had to just stop talking and uh, just say, don't ever do this. Uh, don't ever send the ball across the face of goal like that. Um, the Reds were so lucky not to concede on that play. So lucky not to concede on that Turner mistake. Um, it, I mean, I guess Philly's lucky that they didn't concede six goals as well. But uh, looking at the Revs' defense, and that's that's been the issue all season long. Has been you know keeping a clean sheet hasn't really been something that the Revs have been able to do. Uh, and and getting cute in the back like that is not going to be the way to start doing that, in my opinion. Well, you made a very good point. The Revolution could have scored a lot more goals than they did in this one. Um, and you know, yes, Omar made a terrible mistake that cost them the game, but you know they could have been up three nothing at that point. Yeah. Um, so the, the margin for error didn't need to be as thin as it was. And, you know, part of that, I think Gustavo Bo was certainly not as sharp as he, you know, can be. Um, he, he could add two or three goals outside of the penalty kick. Uh, but clearly the sharpest wasn't there. And I think, I think he's, you know, definitely a guy that needs more minutes to, to work his way back into form coming off of injury. Um, you know, there are other guys as well. Brandon Bay had a good chance. He, he should have done better with Barrero. Um, didn't look particularly sharp with the chances he had. So there were, there were a number of uh, plays that the revolution could have done better with. And, you know, let's be honest. When I saw that revolution back line with Omar in it, I, I knew the revolution were going to need to score more than one goal to get three points. And I, I, I did not think there was any chance the revolution were going to get a shutout. Did you? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I have no confidence in Omar. And to be fair, I mean, I know we're, we're still going to try to avoid the Omar talk because it's coming up, but I, I think we have to touch it a little bit here. I thought Omar was, very adequate for the first half, at least, uh, and most of the second half. Uh, and it, it wasn't until his, you know, his very costly error in the 75th minute, I think it was, uh, you know, after that, he looked he looked a little rattled and, and off. But before that, I thought he did very well. And maybe it's too much to ask Omar to go 90 minutes at this stage in his career. And if he can give you what he gave in the first half coming in as a as a sub to close out a game. I think that's what the expectation was uh, when the Revs signed Omar. You, you didn't expect him to be a 90-minute starter. I don't know where John Bell was tonight. or I know where he was. I don't know why he wasn't on the pitch. Uh, but uh, Omar Gonzalez going 90 minutes, when you see him in that starting lineup, you, you start to worry. And you're right. Scoring one goal is not going to be enough to get it done. Uh, and the Revs had their had their chances and just didn't didn't take advantage of it. Yeah, let's get into some of the lineup choices because you mentioned John Bell. Um, you know, first thing that comes up is Omar started because Kessler was still hurt. Um, mm-hmm. Are you starting to get concerned with how often Kessler seems to miss games with injuries? He's you know a very young player who's you know missing a lot of games for various injuries. At, at this point, it's, to me at least, it's a little bit worrying. Uh, yes and no. I mean, um, there's obviously a, a level of concern, 
But when it comes down to the revolution and, and disclosing a lot of the injuries, we don't really know what the extent is or what happened or why he's dealing with these injuries. Is it something that's going to be a lingering, nagging injury? Is it something that's just a freak thing that just kind of happened that's not known to be a recurring issue? Uh, we don't really know. Uh, there's there's a lot of, you know, uh, not a lot of transparency coming from, from the revolution front office as far as what they want to disclose uh, on the injury report, or maybe that's Bruce Arena. Uh, I don't know who's who's deciding what to say, but when we don't know, it's hard to really form a, a solid opinion one way or the other. But I am concerned that he's missing the time. Uh, he needs to be out there. He needs to be uh, getting maintaining match fitness and getting. I think he's when healthy and playing regularly. I think he is the Revolution's best defender. So uh, it's definitely a huge loss uh, for the back line not to have him there. And, you know, now with Matt Turner leaving in a month, you you need to have the consistency if you're going to be bringing in a new keeper as well. I think that's going to cause a lot more confusion. So um, I'm concerned about it for Kessler and his future, and I'm concerned about how it's going to impact the revolution for the re- uh, remainder of the season. Well, speaking of transparency, I don't know about you, but I didn't know Adam Puxa had been released early to go to Poland. It wasn't going to be available for this game I, I, until the lineup was announced. Did you did you know about that, or was are you as much in the dark as I was? No, I mean, admittedly, I've been off social media for the last uh, like four or five days now and staying away from a lot of things. So I haven't looked into a lot until about 30 minutes before kickoff is when I was finally catching up on uh, a lot of the, my revs news. So, no, I, I had no idea about any of this. And I had, I was texting, uh, uh, you and Greg, I'm like, where, where's Buxa? What's going on? What did I miss? Um, and, and you guys didn't know either. So we didn't know until Brad Feldman, uh, uh, announced it on the broadcast, or maybe it was Charlie Davies. One of them announced it, um, uh, right before kickoff that, that he's with Poland, but there, yeah, there, there was no transparency there either. Um, really interesting choice to not disclose a lot of the, the, the roster, uh, information. And it's an interesting choice overall that they let him go early and missed a key game for the revolution because they didn't have to. Um, the window doesn't start till May 30th. So um, I, I kind of wonder what the thought behind that was. Is, is this, you know, let's let's be really nice to Adam Buxa and hope we can keep him around for, for, for the rest of the season and not have to, you know, let him go? Um, or is this, you know, his value might go up more if he does well for Poland and you get him an opportunity to play more minutes if he gets there early? I, I, don't, I don't know what the thought behind it is, but... Um, you know, uh, the Revs' chances of getting three points today, I think, were higher if Adam Buxa was available. Uh, and by making that decision to let him go to Poland, I think they, you know, hurt themselves a little bit. Uh, I think it's the, the right decision probably for Adam Buxa, but um, I, I would be curious to know the reasoning behind it. And it, to me, it's just weird that we didn't know about it until, you know, the lineup was announced. Well, uh, and this could be 100% wrong because I had a little bit of speculation about it. Is Is there some sort of deal that's already been completed and and they're looking to limit his appearances for the revs so that he doesn't get injured is there something like that going on i don't know i mean i guess it's a possibility i start thinking about everything because again there is no transparency i mean we didn't uh, we didn't even know about esmir i mean i we still don't really know when he was actually signed but he was uh he was announced a, a week after he showed up on the on the roster report uh as a first team signing so uh who really knows uh, what the reasons are? We're we're just left to guess uh, time and time again. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> but um, then we'll, we'll talk about Tristan in a bit. Got questions about him, mm-hmm. um, but I just want to quickly touch on the subs. Dylan Barrero came in. I thought he, you know, it, he did really well to earn that penalty kick, and he had some bright moments. His shooting definitely was not at the sharpest. Yeah, uh, his shoot, his shot taking right now. I mean, it just looks like he's trying to make that sort of impact that. Um, that just deliver a message that he's here or that he's arrived or something. That's what it feels like for me, at least. Uh, and it might just be some of that uh, shaking off the new guy feelings, but he was putting everything into those shots. There was no finesse whatsoever. Uh, it was just wind up and let it, let it unleash. Um, you know, they might have to check some of the glass panels on the Optum lounge after that match. Uh, because he, he let him fly, but he still, uh, I, I thought he provided a positive impact overall on the match. Uh, he was speedy. Uh, he was making some interesting runs that uh, we haven't really seen this team make since Tejan was there. Uh, you want to make those comparisons? Uh, I'm here for it. You know, I, I, I definitely see a lot of the, a lot of the similarities. He looks a little bit more confident than Tejan when Tejan started with the Revs. Um, but he needs to definitely, uh, improve his sharpness uh, or at least his, some, add some finesse to his, to his shot. Well, and the, the next substitute was Josie Altidore coming on for Wilfred mm-hmm. Captum after the revolution, uh, conceded that goal and we're you know, pushing to try to try to take the lead again. Um, we know Josie Altidore has got another, another few years before he's match fit. Uh, but he was ready <laughs> for nine minutes in this game. Uh, what, what did you think of his performance? Uh, Sorry, let me catch my breath. That was a good one. Uh, I, there's not much to take away. He had one touch in the game. Uh, the only other thing is that he he calmed down the Philly player. I don't even remember who it was. That uh, I, I know exactly what you're in. talking about because to me that was the most notable thing he did in the game. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember who the Philly player was, but him and uh, and, and Heal were were kind of going at it. And I think was it was really Martinez. I think. Up, and it was kind of funny to watch. Uh, but Josie just pulled him away and calmed him down, and I was like, "You need, we need any every advantage at this point. Let him get get silly yellow cards. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure what what he was doing. Maybe he's, maybe his buddy's with him, and he was looking out for his buddy or something. But uh, that was his only impact in the game. Uh, he did nothing. I didn't even see his touch. I don't remember it happening. Uh, but it's on the stat sheet. So that's what I think of of that. Um, I think Justin Rennix would have been a better addition. I think Justin Rennix is currently playing. Uh, tenfold better than than Josie Altador. So uh, give it to the kid, play the kid. Uh, but Bruce, you know, we know Bruce is uh, you know his mo. He's gonna he's gonna play his guys. But I'd, I'd like to see Renix out there over Altador right well, now. And if Altador needs minutes to get fit, give him some time at reps too, right? Yep. I mean, I, I you, you can't waste uh, opportunities with the, the first team. Um, or I, hell, I if you're you. gonna punt on the Open Cup, throw Josie a start. <laughs> right. Right. And and on that note, uh, Matt Polster, who played 120 minutes in the Open Cup for some reason, uh, came on in the 89th minute. Uh, you know, I, I thought Polster would come into this game sooner. Um, you know, he's a re- the Revs starting defensive midfielder. He had a really good year last year. He's been pretty good for the Revs this season. Uh, I was surprised that he didn't get more than, you know, uh, the timing of him coming in was, was weird to me. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, I agree. I mean, if you're going to make a sub at that time, why why is it Matt Polster? Uh 
I want to see maybe a Justin Rennix or an Ima Boateng come in at that point. Um, it, it, it was just it was just bizarre. I, I just didn't understand why you're adding him to the mix. Maybe maybe Bruce felt that there was a chance that they might lose the draw, but why wait till the 89th minute and not make the move at the 75th minute after Omar assisted on the on the equalizer? Uh, I, it doesn't make sense to me either. I, I can't make sense of it. Yeah, and and that one other thing I wanted to note was there was there was no Ima Boateng in this game. We've seen him come off the bench in games where the Revolution needed a goal and provide a great spark. Um, and now I'm wondering if you know Barrero, if he's on the bench, is kind of playing that role for the Revs, and that we're not going to see Boateng anymore. Um, maybe unless and until Barrero becomes a starter. Uh, were you surprised we didn't see him in this one? And do you think that you know until Barrero is in the starting lineup, we we might not see Boateng very much off the bench? Yeah, I am surprised. I think uh, Boateng could uh, spell, you know, Sebastian Legette or something uh, and provide another spark because Sebastian Legette didn't provide much in the, in the second half, in my opinion. I I forgot he was on the field until there was one play where he tracked back and and started making uh, a counterattack. Uh, I don't remember ex- the exact sequence, but it was somewhere around like the 65th minute or so. Um, totally forgot he was on the pitch. So, yeah, uh, I'm surprised. I think uh, Ima Boateng deserves to be out there. I think he's proven time and time again that he's an asset to this team. Uh, I, don't, I don't have his stats up in front of me right now, but I know that he's been getting assists. He's been creating chances. Um, it, it, just his overall speed and ability to, to get past defenders and stretch the defense. I, I don't know why he's not getting out there more um i mean i've been on in camp boateng now for a while expecting him to get more minutes expecting bruce to play him more it hasn't happened and uh it, to your point barrero coming in it does feel like it's the end of the boateng era which makes no sense to me because there's players getting minutes that have contributed way less you know arner tristan we, we mentioned him a few times now and i thought that he had a fantastic game despite his foot mob rating, despite he hasn't, he didn't get a goal. I thought he was very active and very involved. I still think that Emma Boateng deserves to get a start over Arnold Tristan at this point. You know, maybe Boateng's not going to go 90 minutes and that's fine. If he's not going to give you 90 minutes, make a plan, get him involved. You need to put him out there. Bruce completely changed the look of the team last year just to fit in Tejan Buchanan. I understand Tejan Buchanan's a different beast of a player, but he saw this player on his roster and says, I need to play him. What am I going to do? Change the formations around, maybe play something that's not quite what Bruce was going for as far as formations and tactics, but he fit him in there and there's no essence of that at all for Emma Boateng. He's just extra speed or extra legs on the bench. It's frustrating to, to just see him, not being able to contribute because I think if he was in there, he'd be making a difference. I, I completely agree with you. And the other thing I will say too, is that, you know, you get five substitutions and I'm last this year. And, you know, earlier on in the season, at times you looked at the revolution's bench and you said, you know, if they need an offensive spark, 
they don't really have many options. You know, if Boateng was on the bench, it was him and nobody else. But this game, you know, they still had Boateng available. They had Rivera available, who's been playing well for the Revolution. He didn't see the field. They had Renex, who you mentioned already, who's been playing pretty well. He didn't see the field. Um, so, you know, if the Revolution really wanted to win this game, why is your 89th minute sub Matt Polster, a uh, defensive midfielder? And, you know, why is the only kind of attacking move you make is to to take off Captoom for Josie Althador? Um, which you know, didn't really produce much, as you mentioned, produced one touch. Um, so I think, you know, there's every reason to question Bruce's substitutions in this one. And if he really wanted to go for this game, he had a lot more options on the bench to, to try to put more attacking options out there. Um, like you mentioned, I, I felt legit. It was pretty quiet, um, particularly in the second half. And it would have made a lot of sense to take him out of this game. So, um, you know, there's, there, was a, there were a lot of moves that Bruce could have made to, to switch things up. Um, and you know, he didn't, so I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's frustrating because earlier on the season, I, I do think there was a lack of attacking options on the bench. Rivera was an unknown quantity. You know, Rennick was an unknown quantity. Um, you didn't have Barrero. So, you know, Boateng was the kind of the one guy you can go to, but now that they finally have those options, he didn't use them. Yeah. I mean, he, he, like you said, he made three substitutions. And in my opinion, two of those were useless. Josie Altidore coming on in the 81st minute. I understand the sentiment there, but he did nothing to impact the game. And then Matt Polster at the 89th minute. I love Matt Polster. I want him on the field. Why are you making that sub? You made that point. I, I, I don't understand the decisions. Essentially, as far as I can see, Bruce made one sub. Otherwise, it was just nothing. Nothing to impact the game. Well, and on the Matt Polster point, I do want to mention the Open Cup quickly because we didn't do a podcast after the Open Cup. You know, mm-hmm. the, those that watched it know the Revolution lost that game in, in overtime. Uh, they put out a lineup that wasn't their strongest. Um, but Matt Polster won 120 minutes. Um, you know, Adam Buxa, I guess going to Adam Buxa, who left for Poland. Um, we don't know when he left for Poland because he wasn't, he didn't travel with the rest of the Open Cup game either. And if you weren't going to let him play in this game, maybe you could have at least used him on the bench in that one. But uh, that's another story. But you know, a lot of the chatter on Twitter, at least after that game was, you know, if you're going to kind of punt on the Open Cup, you better get three points on Saturday and the revolutions didn't get three points on Saturday. Does, does the fact that the revolution didn't get three points on Saturday or last tonight rather um, make that decision to rest guys on Wednesday and the decision or well, not the decision, but the, you know, the result of that game hurt a little bit more that they got knocked out of the open cup and they only got a draw in their home game against Philadelphia. I mean, yeah, it's, it, you know, you're right. We did not have the, the open cup, uh, a podcast, so I haven't had my chance to rant about it, and I think it's clear how much I love the Open Cup. I love seeing that it's it's just a classic tournament, and I just I love seeing the Revs in it. I really thought the Revs had a, a solid chance to make a run this year, and it's also a spot in the CCL. So there's actually some pretty big rewards for competing in this tournament. I don't understand why you you don't want to go for it. I mean, New York City kind of did the same thing. They threw out a C team. Uh, the Revs threw out basically a C team. I, I, I'm not going to go into my open cut rant right now, but it, it, it was frustrating when they lost. And after that, I was like, it, now it's just MLS Cup or bus. They don't have a shot at uh, Supporter Shield. So w- after that, it's just MLS Cup. That's That's all there is to look forward to. This team now has, what, what month? We're about to go into June. So we got three months or so of uh, three, four months 
to prepare and get ready for MLS Cup. Uh, it right now, I mean, the Reds are not even in playoff position, so they got a lot of work to do. Uh, this, yeah, uh, it, it does make the Open Cup loss hurt more. Um, you know, Reds are now unbeaten in what five matches, uh, league matches, so they're trending in the right direction. But yeah, now everything is just on MLS Cup, and uh, it's MLS Cup or bust. That's seriously it for this season, right? I I think that's hundred percent right. I don't see what else are. I, I think support with Shield. If you're still thinking that's a possibility, you're you're really dreaming. Um, mm-hmm. It would take a Herculean effort for that to happen, as well as other teams to to fall off. So I don't. I don't. That's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, it is disappointing and. You know, I, there were some weird decisions in that game. I mean, if if you weren't if you're going to put out that lineup, why do you let Matt Polster go 120 minutes? Yeah. You know, why doesn't No Buck out there uh, or somebody else to you know take some of those minutes so Matt Polster can start this game and maybe you get three points in this game with Matt Polster? You know, I, I don't I don't really understand the logic behind some of the stuff they did in that game, but uh, very disappointing. And I think I agree that the fact that they you know kind of punted on that game and still lost this. Or, Drew this weekend, it feels like a loss, but it Drew does. this weekend um, it does make it hurt more. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a ton of listener questions, probably 90% of which are focused on Omar Gonzalez. But before we jump into those questions, I want to take a quick minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Galaco Kits. Galaco Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to GalacoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code Revs recap. So use Revs recap at checkout for fifteen percent off your order at GalacoKits.com. Chris, like I said, lots of Omar questions. Are you ready for them? <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's let's get through it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Mocha on Twitter asked the first question: Barrero has a lot of potential, but what would it take for Bruce to seriously bring up Ravino? who uh, editorializing here looked pretty good in the Open Cup, I thought, uh, yep. or someone from Revs 2 to replace Omar on the depth chart. It's laughable at this point. You know, I, I would love to see uh, Ravino come up. I don't know if there's space right now on the roster to bring him up, uh, but I think that's a fantastic idea. I think playing John Bell is a great idea, someone that has MLS experience. And the one difference that I see between John Bell and Omar Gonzalez, John Bell had a really bad performance earlier this season. I don't remember the game or what mistakes he made uh, off the top of my head right now, but it was it was a really bad performance. And he went that night or the next morning on Twitter and made a public statement about how he's going to do better and be better and he needs to be better. He took accountability for his performance. I haven't seen that once from Omar, and yet I've seen mistakes 10 times worse than what John Bell was doing by Omar. It, it's mind-boggling to me. I thought Omar was supposed to be the veteran, the one that's supposed to take the accountability, that's supposed to understand the process. So um, I I don't know why we don't see John Bell more. I, I would love to see John Bell. I would love to see Ben Ravino come up here. Um, I'd, I would say replacing Omar, I don't know. I still think there's a chance that the Omar experiment could work right we saw maybe i'm i'm reading too much into the first half tonight but he showed athleticism he showed that he still has ability to read the game and to defend and to really shut down attackers i thought he did a great job overall um he had some pretty poor passes uh 
one especially in the second half that I think you'll distinctly remember um, ending up behind Matt Turner. But I, I thought defensively he was the best that he's ever been in a Revs, Revs jersey, uh, which way too many samples uh, to choose from. But I, I think that experiment could work. If he can give you what he gave you in the first half tonight, coming off the bench to close out a game, I think that was the plan all along to bring Omar in and have him be the closer, the Scott Caldwell role, right? He's nowhere close to that right now, but I I think that's what the idea was. And I think that still could happen if he can continue to find this form, not the terrible passes and moments, you know, momentary lapse of intelligence where he's just passing it to, to the other team. But, you know, I obviously that's not going to happen all the time he didn't maliciously go out and just decide to pass it to the other to the other team i i don't remember what his name was mikhail something right but i don't know i mean I, it's hard to say give give him a break but it, it it just tarnished such a good performance tonight um i don't know i'm going i'm going <laughs> off the rails on on a rant on omar in my head right now trying to trying to rein it in a little bit but um yeah, to answer Mocha's question, I, I'd love to see some of the young guys get more chances, more opportunities, especially if uh, Henry Kessler is going to be injured long term. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think I I think Ravino, I'd I'd much rather see him than Omar at this point. I'd much rather see John Bell than Omar at this point. Uh, you know, I'd I'd rather see just about anybody than than Omar at this point. But I also agree with you. I think at least the first forty five minutes was the best we've seen of Omar and a revolution uniform. Um, I thought he played pretty well. Uh, I, I thought there were a couple of you know notable plays where there was balls over the top and he actually you know, did well to shield off faster attackers. And, um, you know, there were some good moments for Omar, but at the end of the day, he made one terrible mistake that cost the revolution in a goal. And when you're a center back, that's what matters. You can't, you can't do that. So I think, you know, there were highlights from the revolution highlights from Omar in this game where, you know, there were at times where you thought this could be the one game that Omar finally looks good for the Revs, but I think he undid all of it by, by that one terrible play because when you're a center back, you can't do it. And the really frustrating thing, too, is that that play wasn't about, you know, Omar being old and Omar, you know, not being very fast. I mean, he was never very fast, but he's even slower now than he was. It was, you know, just a boneheaded play that, you know, uh, uh, you would be teaching your your kids not to do when they're playing soccer. Um, and for a guy who was experienced to make that terrible play uh, is, is shocking. And again, has nothing to do with his age, which makes it even kind of more shocking. Um, I don't know. It was, it was just, it's, it was unfortunate because I, I do agree that, you know, we've seen a lot of terrible Omar performances and this is one game where he, you know, at least looked serviceable um, up until that play happened. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, you know, I think you are still holding out more hope than I am that, you know, you can take those positives and that maybe he'll turn into a more serviceable player going forward. Um, but, you know, and, and I think this next question actually kind of gets to the point I want to make, but Bobby Reverton on Twitter asked if we're working under the assumption that depth at center back is a going concern, how do we mask it? Um, and does Gonzalez need a babysitting CDM to provide pronounced cover like Polster um, he has another question too, but I think we'll I'll stop there and let you take a stab at that one before I go to his third part. Yeah, I mean I think so. I think he played pretty well having uh, Captoom and and McNamara in front of him and Tommy Mack. I mean he's been dropping back a bit more than 
what we saw when we, when he first joined the revolution. He's definitely a full box-to-box midfielder now. But having Tommy Mack and uh, Wilfred Captoon in front of him, uh, I think, definitely helped. Uh, he had cover. All of his assignments tonight were 1v1. Uh, I will say there was not a lot of in-the-box uh, action for it, for Omar tonight. So that's been a lot of his issues is that he hasn't been utilizing his height, which is one of his best uh, his I don't want to say abilities because it's not an ability. It's just a, a trait that he has. And it's something that he can use that no other player has. No one else on that field is six foot five. Um, and no one can jump as high as Omar is, is jumping for the most part. Right. Um, Corey Burke actually was, was, was showing some pretty good ups uh, uh, going against Omar. But I, I digress and just say, I, I don't remember what I was trying to say now. Um, I, I thought he looked so much better when he just had less responsibilities and he had the two defensive midfielders in front of him. Um, you know, obviously that, that one play, those two midfielders are still, still there. Um, but it, it wasn't a defensive error. It was, it was something else. Omar's just finding a way to, to, to cost points week in and week out and it's, it, it, it's driving me crazy a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> just to build off of that, um, as far as how do you mask it, I think what the revolution did in this game is, is how you mask it, uh, yeah. which like, like you said, having, you know, cap to impulse back there. And then they had 64% possession in the first half. How do you, how do you take pressure off your defense? You control the ball. Um, yeah. and that's how you mask it. But I don't think the revolution are capable of having 64% possession and a half, you know, every game. Um, so, you know, and if they go back to the diamond and try to play Bowen books up top when both are available, I don't think that's, what's going to happen. Um, but I think, you know, in, in your ideal world, if you want to, you know, limit Omar's mistakes, you possess the ball, you, you know, stand the attack, you, um, you have your two kind of center, mid center defensive midfielders, and that's how you do it. And they, you know, they did a pretty good job of it this game until Omar had that boneheaded play, uh, that gave up the goal, but you know, again, you do what you did today. That's how that's how you mask it, and you hope that Omar doesn't. I mean, if Omar's gonna do have a clearance like that where he just gives the ball away and you know leads to a, an easy goal, um, there's nothing you can do to mask that right. other than not yeah. play him. <laughs> and and I think it worked, right? The masking worked. Omar's defense did not let him down. Defensively, he was sound. It was just a terrible decision and a terrible execution of that decision. It wasn't stopping Philadelphia. It was not gifting them a goal. Right. Uh, Viva Revs on Twitter says, please calculate the exact number of points Omar has cost us this season. It has got to be in double digits already. And Charles Maddox on Twitter says, how many ways can we say F off Omar until Bruce gets it? And Charles actually answers Viva Revs question by saying he's cost us 15 points alone this season, if I'm not wrong. Now, I got to admit, between getting this question and doing the podcast, I did not have time to go and calculate exactly how many points Omar has cost the Revs, but it certainly feels like it's got to be double digits. Yeah, I I mean, 15 seems high, but uh, it's plausible. I'm not saying that that's wrong. Uh, I'd have to do the do the calculations, but it's it's too many for one player to be responsible for. And it's hard to put it all on one player, but when you look at the mistakes that Omar has made time and time again, 
it, it is it all comes back to yeah that was actually all on omar you know maybe not every single one of omar's mistakes were were solely on him there was there's other contributing factors for other times that you know we look at omar and say oh it's omar's fault um you know one you can't allow crosses to come in that are you know on point perfect uh omar needs to be tracking his runners better but you can't allow perfect crosses all the time to be coming in either um so i'd say not all of it is 100 percent on omar but uh yeah, 15 points. I mean, it's a lot. I'd say half, you know, say eight, nine points. He's approaching double digits. Two points tonight, 100% um, uh, on Omar. And, you know, who else do you blame? Uh, a lot of people want to blame Bruce Arena for playing Omar, which makes sense. So the next yep. questions are about that. Uh, six stars. And he asks, why Bruce? Why? Cody Hall says, is Bruce only playing Omar because depth is an issue or because he has no faith in John Bell or only cares about experience, even if Omar has clearly forgotten everything since elementary school with that clearance? What is it, guys? Uh, Gunner Gunzi says, how does Omar still have a job? Does Bruce Arena own this guy money or something? This guy sucks. Uh, all right, Chris, there's a, there's a lot there, but I think it boils down to why is Bruce still playing Omar? Do you have an answer? No, I don't. But I've been on the uh, oh, sit Omar bus now for a while. Uh, there was a few weeks ago, I don't remember the, the, the game uh, offhand, but I was like, he has to be done. There's no way that he's still going to be on this roster after this performance, after so many back-to-back-to-back poor performances, and he's still getting time. I think right now the only reason that he's still on the roster is because the Revs need uh, him on the roster, and they're going to be paying his salary regardless, right? Uh, You don't want to buy out that contract if there's other ones that maybe are the ones you want to buy out. Maybe you do want to buy out his contract. I don't know. Um, But the fact that there's just not a lot of defensive depth John Bell is the logical other option, and Bruce likes his guys. I said it before as far as why Josie came on instead of uh, Justin Rennix. Obviously, that's not necessarily the reason, but it feels like the reason. Bruce plays his guys. He knows his guys. Uh, he trusts his guys. And, and maybe maybe there's a bit more accountability from Omar behind the scenes that we don't see publicly. And that's fine. I get it. You don't have to publicly address everybody. Um, but when you do like John Bell did, it, it makes it harder to look at a guy like Omar and say, what's going on here? Why is he still getting the minutes? What's go? What's the reason? It's, it's hard as a fan. Yeah. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head and why, why does he still have a job? It's because, you know, you, you can't, you can't get rid of his contract right now. You, yep. you can buy him out, but you're still on the hook for the contract and it's still counting against your salary cap. So I think the leash on Omar is pretty long um, because not, you know, not only are you on the hook this year, on the hook next year too. Um, So you're not, you're not really gaining anything other than a roster spot. um, If you were to buy him out now, uh, and then if you buy him out in the off season, you can, you know, you can, you can think, you, you, I think he's got the, the rest of this year for Bruce to figure out whether he still has a role on this team. Um, and then if he doesn't, then you can buy him out in the off season, then you can get the salary off the books. Um, but you know, I, I, it's, it's really frustrating to, to watch, but there's no, I, I think he's here through the season at least. And if he continues to play like he's playing, you know, maybe Bruce will <laughs> finally realize you got to buy him out, but there's not much advantage to buying him out now other than for 
you know, fans to have the relief of knowing there's no way that he's going to play. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then on John Bell, again, you know, going back to the transparency thing, um, I, I think some of it's that you know, Bruce trusts Omar and his experience more than John Bell and maybe doesn't see that highly in John Bell. He had that game that Chris mentioned earlier, earlier in the season where he didn't look very good. Um, certainly one game shouldn't alone be the reason for him to not play anymore because Omar's had a, a certain a huge amount of bad games. Um, but at the same time, you know, John Bell, we know, has had injuries this season, too, um, that they haven't been fully transparent about. And, you know, eventually they'll tell us, you know, he was, oh, he was out these last few games with injury and we didn't really even know about it. So we don't know how many games he's been out injured and how many games he was actually available for and just didn't play. Um, you know, I think he's been injured for a lot of the a lot of the times where you would have liked to have seen him play for Omar. I think John Bell's actually been injured. Um, and, you know, he played in the Open Cup game, so he probably, Bruce, again, just like with Pulsar, probably didn't want to play him too much. So, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, but I think a lot of what's happened so far, we can assume, was injury-related. Yep, I think that's fair. And I think the 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 nod to the Open Cup match for John Bell, too, uh, is partly why he didn't get the start. Um, at least I'd like to to think that's that's why. Um, and <laughs> RevsFan94 takes it a, maybe a step too far and says, at what point is the time to remove Bruce's role as head coach? Uh, and also, when does Omar lose a spot? We already covered the Omar, when does Omar lose a spot? But <laughs> at what point is the time to remove Bruce's role as head coach? <laughs> Uh, a 10 game losing skid with a negative 20 goal difference. That's what I'm going for. Cause Bruce already won the supporter shield for the revs. It took him what, two, three years to do that. Uh, turn this entire club around from it, one of the nastiest dumpster fires I've ever seen. Cincinnati would have been proud of how bad Brad Friedel had this team playing uh, and came in and took that same exact squad turned it around in just a couple of years' time, through a pandemic, gets this team a supporter shield, uh, is bringing in steady numbers when it comes to attendance, and he's still making the team competitive, right? We're arguing right now, or not arguing, we're just upset uh, looking at the results, but this team's not far out from the playoffs. They, Like I said earlier, they're five games unbeaten right now in MOS. Uh, uh, there's not a whole lot of reason to be calling for Bruce right now. I don't understand that. I understand being upset that Bruce keeps playing Omar. I am too. Um, but no, don't. Why are we calling for Bruce's head right now? Uh, he, he needs a lot worse than uh, than what we've been seeing. Yeah, th- there's a lot of reasons to be frustrated with some of Bruce's decisions. Uh, Omar being number one um, based on Josie Altador's return so far for the revolution. I think there's a lot of people that are frustrated by that that move and you know, his large unknown salary. Um, but it's, I mean, if you're going to remove a title from Bruce, which you, you can't because it's a package deal, it would be Bruce the GM, not Bruce the head coach, in my, in my view. Uh, that, that's the one that's been hurting more. Um, but Bruce Arena is the greatest American soccer coach of all time. And as frustrated as we are with some of his decisions, if you know you want to remove a coach that won the Supporters Shield last year and is off to a bit of a rough start this year, but like Chris said, is on a five-game unbeaten streak, who are you replacing him with that's going to be a better option? I want to know those suggestions. Who realistically would you replace him with? Um, because I don't, I don't know who that would be. Um, Shalri's getting his <laughs> his coaching license. <laughs> I mean, I would love to see Shalri coach the Revs at, at some point when he's ready, uh, yeah. for sure. But I, I, I this is I, I get the frustration, but it's it's way too soon to be calling for Bruce's head, and you know, even more so knowing knowing how the crafts operate, there's no way Bruce is 
leaving the Revs anytime soon unless it's by his own choice. Um, so I, I mean, I, I think Bruce retires before he ever gets let go from the Revs, even if they do have a you know subpar season this year. Um, local library fan account on Twitter <laughs> wants to know: Was that the worst play in team history? And I assume he's referring to Omar Gonzalez's play. I don't know if it was the worst. I can't think of a worse one off the top of my head, but I can't imagine that's the worst. It was really, really bad, though. I will say, I think I believe local library fan account is a pretty diehard uh, Indianapolis Colts fan, and I know in it, they have probably the worst play in NFL history uh, against the Patriots a few years ago. So I just wanted to shout that one out there real quick because uh, anytime I, I can talk about that play, um, it's just a lot of fun. Just, uh, yeah, that was... Pat McAfee, uh, yeah. If you, if you haven't seen it, just look it up. Indianapolis Colts, Pat McAfee, bad play. It's hilarious. Um, but as far as the Revs go, I I don't know if this is the worst play. Can you think of a worst one? Because I mean, no, it's frustrating me that I can't because I'm sure there is. But I, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure, and I'm sure as soon as we're done recording, I'll think of it. But there's been a lot of really bad Revs teams out there. There's been a lot of really bad Revs defenders. Um, I, I am sure there's been a worse play than this, but at the moment, yeah. I can't think of it, and that's frustrating me. I mean, Andrew Farrell probably has uh, some highlight reel footage or low light reel footage that's worse than that, but I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. So, but I think I believe Claude Dielma had some pretty nasty ones too. Dielma, Mancien, uh, you know, Steve going way back, like Steve Howie. There's got to be some. Something, something back there. I'm sure Lexi Lawless even has some low lights for the Revs. He wasn't as uh, good of a defender as his reputation <laughs> would suggest. Right, right. But, I agree. Uh, Nathan Whitcraft on Twitter says, would the Revs have more points this season if they played with 10 men instead of the minutes Omar has played? It'd be hard to have less. You know, I saw this question. This is one of the few ones I looked at before we started. And uh, I, I had a small talk with you about this one, Sean, saying – there's actually, I, I, it might be correct. That's a lot of points that Omar is responsible for because of individual play. Ten men, I mean, playing with ten men for an entire match, those it's a lot to overcome. It's close, and the fact that I don't know, I can't like decisively make up my mind, is a real telling fact of how bad of a, a performance we've been seeing from Omar. Um, probably not. I'd like to think the answer is uh, it, that having Omar. Is still better, but I I don't know. It it might be better to just play with ten. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with with no. But at the same time, I'm willing to listen to arguments, and that's that's saying something. Enough. I don't yeah. I don't think that's an outlandish suggestion. <laughs> unfortunately, it, it, it's crazy because it is an outlandish suggestion. But if circumstances considered, it's maybe not. A, a, a less outlandish suggestion. Broken Bill on Twitter says, why doesn't Bruce play AJ at center back? I think we've brought this up in the podcast a couple of times, but why, why do you think we haven't seen AJ get given a shot, um, you know, given John Bell's injuries and given Omar's play? Uh, I don't know if I like the idea of AJ playing center back. I mean, I I feel like it's just going to be the same response, if not worse than what we're seeing with Omar. I think AJ has shown that he has also lost quite a few steps in his career. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen enough from AJ to 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 think that he'd be solid back there. I think that his biggest weakness right now, as a defender, is defending, and you know that's coincidentally Omar's biggest weakness right now too. Um, but I think we've seen from Omar that he actually can, in spurts, defend well. Um, AJ, 
not necessarily as much. Um, but we see him playing a different type of role when when he's out there. Uh, he's looking to advance the play up field. It doesn't necessarily always work out, but um, no, I, I I don't know if that's the right play. I think I still think joking and everything else aside, I guess. Um, Omar would probably be a better solution than AJ De La Garza at center back. I don't like AJ De La Garza at center back, but the I've suggested this before just because Omar has been so bad. Um, mm-hmm. I'd rather see John Bell at center back. I'd rather see Ben Ravino at center back. But um, with how Omar has played this season, I I would give AJ a shot at it. Uh, but that's a pretty <laughs> bad option, I think. You know, at his age, given it's not you know his best position, given you know he's not a very tall guy. Um, yep. I don't, I don't love that. It's very small frame. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't love that option. Um, but I, you know, I don't think it's an outlandish suggestion just because of how bad Omar has been rather than anything else. Well, um, you want to try it out, throw him down to revs too. MLS next pro is a, what a, a made up league. It doesn't mean anything. So who cares what the standings are? Throw him down there and just see what, what it, if, if he can play center back, uh, maybe he can. And then if he can't, sure, try it. And uh, Pil- Pilkman15 on Twitter says he can't wait to see fully fit Josie in a few weeks. <laughs> I'm going to guess that's sarcasm. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it either. Uh, yeah, we'll fully be here. fit Josie, the, the uh, mythical fully fit Josie. I mean, it's hard taking, a, taking a, a real jab at Josie because I haven't been fully fit in 20 years. So, um, But he's a professional athlete. I'm not. I I just talk into a microphone uh so yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you'd like to think that Josie is already fully fit, but the fact that it takes him a few months to get there is uh, uh, questionable. Yeah, I'm not fully fit either. I don't, I'm just wondering when I can get my 4.5 million dollar buyout package. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting on that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shannon Dahlstrom says, "I think the game needed Renick's energy and strength and Ema's speed for subs." Um, I think we both agree with that based on our comments earlier, right? A hundred percent. Yep. And she also says stop playing Omar, which I think is a sentiment shared by just about all of our questioners today. <laughs> uh, Ryan Duplicia on Twitter says, I really feel that we were holding our own and making a ton of opportunities. Tristan had a stellar game. All was well until the Omar pass and the side seeming, seemed to instantly deflate. Um, I, I think we'd both agree with that. Uh, and then on, on Tristan, James Downing also wanted to know your thoughts on a seemingly motivated Tristan today. Yeah, I thought he was good. Uh, and motivated, I think, is the right the right term he looked hungry he's uh and that fancy footwork in the first half that he did down the on the on the byline there uh i I don't remember the defender from philly that he got around but uh it was something that we haven't really seen from him the the confidence of the ability to really take on a defender 1v1 and get past them um i think he kind of surprised himself a little bit there too because uh, right after that it got knocked out for a corner um, by the second defender, and he had a he had a pretty good smile on his face, like wow, I can't believe I, I just pulled that one off. Um, but he looks like he's having fun, uh, as well as being motivated. And I think that's what you want from Arno Tristison. When he came in, you expected him to be a difference maker, uh, not necessarily uh, a game changer every single game. He's not going to be a DP level player, but we expected him to come in and uh, make an impact here and there to really maybe change the way the game is going to go and. He had some swagger uh, about him tonight, and it was it was really good to see. I hope we keep seeing it because uh, I really enjoyed I, I enjoyed I should say watching uh, Arnold Tristan play tonight. 
Yeah, I agree. I thought it was one of his best games for the Revolution. I think Charlie Davies called it the best game he's played for the Revolution. Um, you know, he had two key passes. He had a couple fouls. He had that, you know, a couple successful dribbles. Um, I thought he looked really good. And this is the Tristison that I think everyone was hoping to see when the Revolution signed him. Um, and he's been, you know, I think over the past few weeks, he's shown a lot for the Revolution. So, you know, hopefully this is a sign that he's going to become a more useful player for the Revolution going forward. But I, I agree it was a, it was a good showing from, from Tristison and um hopefully an, another good performance for him to build on uh we'll say only 32 touches though which is a little bit low i'd still i still want to see arner getting a little bit more involved uh you know he played 63 minutes uh so we, i would like to with how much possession the rose had I, I i would definitely like to see him getting a bit more involved but when he was involved tonight yeah uh solid performance and i think that he's really making a case for himself uh to have a spot on this roster going forward and maybe this is some uh, Dylan Barrero fallout. So he's feeling the push of, of uh, a younger, faster, uh, more dynamic winger coming onto the roster. And he's really pushing to, to, you know, show his worth and, and earn a spot uh, on this roster. I, I agree. I would like to see him have a few more touches, but at the same time, you know, when you compare him to the other wide guy, legit, uh, legit played 30 more minutes and only had four more touches. So if you do touches per minute, I think just was a lot more involved and showed a lot more than the did in this game. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Tyler O'Brien also wanted to talk about Tristan and Captoom. He said, I thought this was a pretty good game for Arnu Arner and Captoom as well. Do you think they're finally adjusting to the league and will start to be the players they thought they could be when signed? Chris, you talked about Captoom earlier. We just talked about Tristan. Um, would, would you group them together and say they're both finally adjusting to the league and, maybe are turning into the players we thought they'd be? I'm not going to say definitively. Yes, I think so. Uh, I, but I do think they're trending that way, and I hope that they keep going because that only means good things for the revolution. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's too soon to say that definitively. Um, I'm more confident in Tristison from what we've seen lately, and I think I still need to see a lot more than, than Cap from Captoom um, what we've seen to, to be sold yet. Um, especially, mm-hmm. too, I think the expectations should be higher for him given – He's one of the highest paid guys in the team with a salary. Yep. Um, Broken Bill had a couple of questions. First, he said, how would you assess the performances of this season, Bruce, of this season of Bruce's guys? Um, he you know, talks about AJ De La Garza, Ima Boateng, Josie Altador, Omar Gonzalez, Sebastian Lejet, all guys that had played for Bruce before and that Bruce brought in versus some of the players that Bruce let go, such as Diego Fagundes, Callan Rowe, and Scott Caldwell. It's um, a good question. Chris, do you have any yeah. thoughts on this one? Well, First of all, I don't know how Scott's doing. I haven't really been following his performances over there at RSL. Um, but Diego is killing it right now uh, in Austin. Uh, I will say, however, I don't think that he necessarily would have been having the same impact if he had stayed in New England. I think he needed that fresh start. I think he needed a different uh, a, a different group of guys around him to really get going. He looks comfortable. He looks fresh and, and energized down there. And Kellen Rowe, I think that's probably the one that I would hit on um, as saying I wish that he had maybe stayed because he just finds a way to give you more uh, than what you expect. Last season, Kellen Rowe was the only player for Seattle Sounders to play in or to feature in every single match uh, in MLS. And this is a guy that the Revs just didn't sign, uh, didn't re-sign, I should say, Uh didn't offer a contract to, I think they maybe declined his option. I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, It's it's two off seasons ago now, but yeah, those, 
not those three, but those two, Diego and Kellen, I think you want to look at those and say, oh, could they have added some value? Kellen, I think definitely. Diego, I think it's questionable. Um, but you want to talk about the guys that Bruce has brought in, his guys. Um, I mean, I think Sebastian Lejet's the only one, or maybe Ima Boateng. I, I, I forget that he's one of Bruce's guys too. Um, but Sebastian Lejet has been the only one that really has been contributing as far as regular starter. Uh, Ima Boateng doesn't seem to be getting his opportunities, but AJ De La Garza, obviously he's a depth piece, so it doesn't really impact anything. Josie and Omar are the two uh, glaring red flags on there, but those are not going to be a like for like when you're talking. What I think is Kellen Rowe is the one that that would be an impact to this team. Um, but I, I'm kind of kind of rambling uh, on this question here. I like the question a lot. I'd like to sit down and actually talk about it more, uh, go deeper into it because it's a it's it's a fun one to really really dig your heels into. Yeah, I mean, I think all those guys could could still help the revolution. I've mentioned Caldwell before. Um, he's got nine starts this year. He started most of Salt Lake's games. Um, you know, there was talk last year. Can can he still go ninety minutes because of you know Bruce was only playing him like five ten minutes a game? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, clearly he still can, and he's you know making a supplemental roster spot guy for for Salt Lake and was a you know a homegrown supplemental guy for the Revs that didn't even count against the salary cap. Um, so yeah, absolutely you could use a guy like that. Um, you know, I think he made the right career move for him because you know he's starting for Salt Lake. He wasn't going to be starting for the Revs. Um, and you know, if, if that's what he wanted, then that was the right move for him. Um, but you know, if, if the revolution could have kept him to be, you know, Matt Polster's backup, um, I think that would have been a great move for the revs. And then you talk about Kellen Rowe, um, you know, with Kellen Rowe, there was a lot of talk over the years, including for me that, you know, his, his growth was kind of hurt by, um, you know, his position being moved around a lot that he looked like he was going to be a central midfielder and it was deeply buried behind, um, Lee wins. So he got playing left, left back and on the wings and all over the place. And, you know, as it turns out, that's the role he's playing for Seattle. He's playing all over the place for Seattle. They use him every single spot. You could possibly use a guy, I think other than striker and goalkeeper, um, and ball and center back too, but he's, he's played just about everywhere for Seattle. And he's been kind of their iron man. Like you mentioned playing every game. Um, but he's, he hasn't been this, you know, star guy for them or this, you know, uh, key cog at a certain position. He's just been the the versatile guy that's filled in. Seattle's had a lot of injuries, and he's filled in just about everywhere and, and done well. Um, any team can use a guy like that. Uh, certainly, I mean the Revs had the head injuries, and it would have been great to have him. Um, so, yeah, he would help the Revs. And then you know, Diego Fagundes is having a phenomenal year. Um, but the one thing I'll say about Diego and you, Chris, you you kind of already hit on this is I think he fits in much better with Austin. Um, and you know, you saw Diego's one of Diego's best years was under Brad Friedel before Carlos Hill came when Brad Friedel gave, kind of gave him that number 10 role and let him run the offense. And that's, was never going to happen when Carlos Hill came here. He was always going to be, you know, second or third fiddle in that offense or in that midfield. Um, and I think Austin's given him a lot more responsibility than he was going to have for the revolution. And I think he, you know, he, when the revolution gave that to him, he kind of thrived with it. And when he had to be kind of, you know, the, the second guy that had to have chemistry and, and can, you know, combine with a, a Carlos heel that didn't work as well for him, or that didn't end up being as effective for him. Um, so, you know, he's playing really, really well right now, but I, I think I agree with you, Chris, that I, it's a question of, of whether or not that would translate to him playing really well for the revolution and the system and what they're trying to do. Yep, and I think he, he's created a great chemistry between himself and Driussi as well. They've been yep. linking up all season long, and Diego Fagundes and Driussi are two the two main reasons that Austin is uh, as successful as they are so far this year. And then Broken Bill also asked, "What has Tommy McNamara done right in order to be a, become a starter?" So uh, consistency, and 
he's putting in the effort too. Uh, I think a lot of other players necessarily aren't doing. I mentioned it earlier uh, in this in this episode that we've seen Tommy McNamara show that he's a true box to box midfielder. He's been running uh, from making a defensive player play to uh, the same sequence, being up in the attack, in the attacking box. Um, he's he's doing it all, and he's not doing anything necessarily bad. Uh, you there's moments, I guess, where where Tommy Mac has made poor challenges or uh, gets close to you know red card or yellow card, uh, double yellow cards, whatever you want to call it. Maybe he has some some sloppy challenges, and I'm not gonna try to defend those because that definitely happens. Uh, he makes some some poor decisions once in a while while making passes, but he's involved every single time that he's on the pitch. Uh, Tommy McNamara is one player where we don't see like Sebastian Legette and say, "Oh, I forgot he was on the pitch for the last 20 minutes." No, you know Tommy Mack is there because he's chasing the ball, he's getting involved, he's making tackles, he's advancing the play. He does it all, and he does it all at a exceptional rate, I would say. He's not a star, but he's some sort of unsung hero type player. Uh, maybe you want to say like a Kellen Rowe to Seattle type thing. Tommy Mack is is the revolution's current Kellen Rowe, if you want to call it that. Um, and it, it's been consistently done. You know what you're going to get from him. Uh, I think that Tommy Mack gets a lot of unwarranted hate. Uh, thrown his way because when he does things that are poor, I think he does it. Uh, it, it he it gets kind of glorified. It's uh, a bit exuberant, maybe is the word I'm looking for as far as uh, his mistakes. Uh, but they're never costly, in my opinion. Um, and then he can go out and like a week ago, um, I don't remember the match off the top of my head. Now I'm losing it. Um, but that that game winner that he just bagged, or was it uh, was it a game winner? I can't remember what the score was, the the last MLS match. I, th- I think um, it was. Yeah, it was always three two, right? So it was the one one of the three Galazos the Rev scored in that game. <laughs> all the Galazos, yeah, and and Tommy Mack added one of his own, and he was been close to getting one, and he finally got it. Uh, third time was the charm, and uh, I I don't know why anyone thinks Tommy doesn't deserve a spot. The only thing I could think is. If there's going to be too many cooks, right? You don't want a, a overcrowded midfield of starters that are deserving a spark. You don't want to like create extra spots for Tommy Mack, but you're not at the point. I, I think Carly Seal, Tommy Mack, and Matt Polster are your three guaranteed midfield starters. Uh, and they've all done the same thing and provided consistency. Uh, they've done their jobs and they've done it well. And I think Tommy Mack... Uh, with transitioning more towards, uh, you know, he's playing a bit deeper, it, it seems, this season than uh, than last year. I think that he's adapted pretty well to that, and maybe some of that dropping back, maybe he can uh, partner up a bit more with Polster and provide some cover or masking uh, of Omar Gonzalez. Maybe that's going to be in the future. I don't really know, but I think Tommy Mack 100% deserves to be the starter. I think, yeah, I think he hit the nail on the head. I think it's consistency from him and lack of consistency from the other options. I mean, cap to him. We don't need to go into details there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the consistency hasn't been there with him. And then, you know, Maciel, I think, is maybe your other option. And, you know, he's a young guy that 
has struggled with injuries and I think probably consistency too. Um, and then, you know, there's Noel Buck, who's a young guy with a bright future, but I don't think he's ready yet. He didn't even play in the Open Cup game. Um, and then, you know, Scott Caldwell and Lewis Caicedo aren't here anymore. So it's consistency of Tommy McNamara and then that the other options just haven't stepped up. Right. Um, and Sandra Lawson on Twitter asked a question that's not related to today's game, but was wondering if maybe the best replacement for Tejon is actually Dewan Jones. He was an attacking player in college. He's done a good job at his role when asked to fill, but is it his natural fit? I see the similarities. I can understand where this question's coming from, but no, I think I think Dewan is is perfect where he is. It is extremely difficult to find a a good fullback in MLS. And the Revolution have done exceptional in finding two of them with Dewan Jones and Brandon Bai, maybe the best uh, fullback tandem in the league. Uh, I I haven't actually done any research to con- to back up that statement, but uh, I'll make that statement regardless because the Revs are very fortunate to have Dewan Jones playing left back, uh, Brandon Bai over at right back. Um, I, I definitely see the similarities to, to Dewan being more like a, a Tejon dynamic type player. He's got the speed. He's got the ability to take on uh, defenders when he's in attack. Uh, but Dewan possesses, I think, more possibly than what Tejon has because Dewan is able to track back. He's able to defend. I think he's uh, improved immensely uh, with his defensive work rate and his ability to to shut down a cross, to track back when there is a turnover because Dewan's not perfect. He had a really bad pass. Uh, in the first half tonight. Um, it, he didn't have to track back for this one in particular, but he's able to track back when he does lose the ball. Uh, and I think that's something that, that Tejan, while he has the ability to run back, but he didn't have the ability to necessarily defensively stop the play. Uh, whereas Dewan Jones has that in him. Um, I, I, I kind of like the idea a little bit, but I think Dylan Barrero is going to be that guy. If you've seen the way that he played tonight, coming in uh, with a lot of the same things that you see in Dewan Jones, but on the offense, on the offensive side of, of the ball, um, not so much on the defensive. Uh, so I, I think it's just a matter of time. We just watch Dylan Barrow and see where he goes. Uh, I don't know. Am I, am I kind of wrong on that one, Sean? Or No, I completely agree with you. And I think you've developed Dewan Jones into arguably the best left back in the league, and you don't want to change that. Um, you know, I, I completely see Sanders' points, and others have made it as well that you know he was an attacking player in college, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that his best position is going to be an attacking player in MLS. And he's just done so well from that left back spot. Um, you know, it gives him more runway going forward, and you know I think it suits him very well with his speed. And it, it is a very very hard spot to fill. Um, we've seen the Revolution try over the years, whether it was Alexander Butner, Gabriel Somi, Didier Domi, uh, Edgar Castillo. Um, who, who, Cassio going way back. Even Claude Dielma got to Cla- run out there. Claude Dielma. It's, it's very hard to find a good left back. The Revolution had the best left back in the league. I don't want to mess with it. Um, and, you know, at, at the same time, I don't think it's good for Dewan Jones's development to mess with it. I, I, you know, I, I just talked about Kellen Rowe. I don't, I don't, I think Dewan Jones being the best left back in the league, um, you don't try to make him a versatile guy that plays different positions. You keep him at the spot that he's so good at and let him, you know, continue to develop and become that player. Um, you know, I, again, I completely get why you'd have this thought, but I keep Dewan Jones at left back. Yep. Um, and then Eric at Big Nation got one in just under the wire. 
<laughs> he thought it was going to be too late, but we got this one and it's a good one that I wanted to make sure when I saw it, I wanted to make sure to mention it because we haven't talked about it. Um, but he said the thing that really bums him out is the story of the night should have been that Carly's heel gave the penalty kick to Bo, presumably to help him break out of the yips we were all seeing at the start of the half and said it's going to be Omar's brutal gaff. Um, we didn't talk about that, but that is a good point to make is Carly's heel is the revolution's penalty kick taker and he let Gustavo Bo take that. Um, do you think it was, was because, you know, Bo needed some confidence? You know, I thought about this, uh, and I, I had two solutions to the to this question. One was, yeah, is it is it just the confidence thing? Maybe, but uh, Bo also hasn't really been playing, so he hasn't really had a chance to uh, lose any confidence. And he, if anything, I thought he was playing with a ton of confidence. The other one, I think, is that uh, his brother is in the stance. Maybe that had something to do with it. He had some family actually with him. Uh, his brother, I, I forget what his first name was, uh, is Emiliano. Um, this it might have been what it was. Uh, I heard uh, uh, over the broadcast, Brad Feldman mentioned it, but he was in the fort with everybody. And so if you were at the game at the, in the fort, you probably saw him there as well. Um, so that's kind of where my mind went was that might be the, the logical solution here or the logical answer was Carly's heel was just giving Gustavo a favor saying, hey, your brother's here. You take it. You put it in. You get the goal. You get the glory for tonight. Uh, enjoy your night with your family. So that's what my my thought is, but it, it could very well just be to to build up uh, Gustavo's confidence and maybe help him uh, get some goals, some easy goals, so he can uh, make a run for the golden boot later. I don't know. Uh, we could throw at anything now at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the only thing I'll I'll say is that it, it's great that that happened and that he scored it, but you know he. he missed the penalty for the revolution last year. And I think if Carlos Hill had given him one to score in front of the fans or for his confidence or for whatever reason it was, and Gustavo Bo misses it, I think, I think the, what we're talking about is a lot different. Um, yeah. I, I trust Carlos Hill to take a penalty kick more than Gustavo Bo. I'm glad it all worked out. It was a great penalty. Um, it wasn't what it was fantastic penalty showed a lot of confidence yeah. and I'm glad it worked out. But I, I, I think the conversation would be a little bit different if he had actually missed that and who'd wished it was Carlos Hill that had taken it. Hey, you know, butterfly effect. If Carlos Hill if Carlos Hill did take it, you know, probably not talking about Omar. So, <laughs> but that, that's a different rabbit hole. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and I think that's it for questions. Although Alex Dolan did want to ask whether, uh, Greg, Greg's highlight of the night was seeing him at the game. And I think it was, <laughs> but, but Greg can answer that. Uh, Chris, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I don't have a whole lot to, to add. I think we covered it, covered it all. And then some, and uh, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, best spot for me is uh, over on Twitter. You can find me at Chris Velucas. Uh Currently on a small Twitter hiatus, but I'll be back very soon. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sean L. Donahue. And of course, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Revolution Recap. And please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Uh, as always, be sure to check out our friends at The Best Bent Musket. Thanks again for listening. Um, we're not 100% sure. The webs are off for the international break, so we'll, we'll let you know via our social media methods on when the next podcast will be. Uh, but for now, thanks again for listening. <laughs>